0: Okay, Romans Chapter Twelve Romans Chapter Twelve. Let's read the last section. We'll pick it up in verse 14. I hope right right as we start off right now, I hope every one of you will... I don't know where your minds are, but I hope you'll bring them right here. Focus on the Word of God. The Lord has a Word for us. For us as a church, for you as an individual. May God speak to you right now. We can, read the, we can read the Word of God a lot of times and we can become disconnected. We can read it and not feel it. But hear this for yourself. Romans 12.14 Now really hear what's saying. This is to you. Bless those who persecute you. You see, this is personal. We need to personalize this. Bless those who persecute you. It's got to do with you. You need to take note of this. You need to take heart. You need to wake up. You need to open the eyes. You need to hear. Bless those. To bless is basically the idea of desiring good. Blessing somebody is desiring their good. It is a pronouncement of good, but at the heart of it, it is doing what's good, desiring what's good, pursuing what's good for the sake of those who persecute you. Somebody who persecutes you is somebody who makes your life hard. It's somebody who does something to you that by nature you don't like what they do to you. And by nature, typically, when people don't do, or when they do something to you that you don't like, it tends to make you not like them. Right? And instead of cursing, it says bless and do not curse. And to curse is, yes, it might be something that you do with your voice, but behind cursing is desiring bad, pronouncing bad. Bad. Wanting bad upon the person who persecutes you. And that is our natural response. When people come against us in a way that makes life hard, when people come against us in a way that causes us pain, causes us hurt, our typical response is to desire that something bad would happen to them. That hurt would come upon them. That they would somehow suffer for the way that they've treated us. By nature, that's how we are. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now, you know, we can almost see verse 15 is detached, but let me tell you something. Verses 14-21 through have a common note, and we don't want to miss it. Paul doesn't all of a sudden jump off to something else here. I I think it's very important that we tie this into context, which would say this, yes, there Definitely, I could take you to other places in the Scriptures where when your fellow Christian rejoices, or your fellow Christian, or your friend, or your family member, or whatever, if they weep, we should come alongside and we should weep with them. We should weep with those who we're close with. In the church, definitely, when, when one of us rejoices, we're all in the same body. We rejoice together, we weep together. But I don't believe that's the immediate context here. The immediate context here would seem to be when your enemy rejoices. When your enemy weeps. You're in a state of mind and heart where you are seeking to bless them. Where you are feeling with their feelings. You are weeping with their tears. You are rejoicing with their laughter. And I mean within reason. Obviously, there are things that lost people would laugh about that you wouldn't want to come along and laugh about. There are things that the wicked would weep about that we wouldn't want to come along and weep about. But I believe that what Paul's calling us to do here is these are visible expressions of a desire to bless those who persecute you. Have you, guys, have you ever read this? I mean, let let this come home to you, in the midst of somebody seeking to you know, somebody seeking to malign you, somebody seeking to harm you. this can be very difficult for us to relate with and to unless somebody is actually right now in your life making life difficult for you. It can be easy to hear this and distance ourselves from it, but when somebody comes against us oh, this, this is a big thing. It, it becomes a reality. And I can tell you, the further along I go as, as a pastor of this church, the more opportunity arises for people to come against me. For people to not like what I teach. to people not like the way I teach it. For people not like the way certain things are said or the way that certain things are done. And you know I feel that more and more and more and more. That's the kind of thing Trevor's feeling. That's causing discouragement. He's got people that seem to be putting some pressure on him and he's not liking that. Folks, now don't turn there. Stay right here in Romans 12 because I'm going to continue reading in just a second. But David, speaking of his enemies in Psalm 35, 13. I know you probably have read this, many of you, but listen to it. He acknowledges in Psalm 35 verse 1 that these people he's speaking about right now are those who fight against him. He says, when, he says, I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. That's what David did against his enemies. Have you ever heard that David? Now, think with me here. We can read about it. Maybe it sounds glamorous. Maybe it sounds, you know, amazing. Maybe, again, we can become so disconnected. But Saul threw a javelin at him, what, twice, right? Tried to pin him against the wall. I mean, can you imagine if a guy rose up in this church and slung a spear at you? He meant to kill you. I mean, are you going to go wear sackcloth for the guy and mourn when you hear he gets sick? I'll tell you what David did when he heard that Saul was dead. He and his people tore their clothes and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan and the others that were slain. But for Saul, for his enemy. He had opportunity to put Saul to death on a couple occasions and he refrained from doing so. He had a mindset towards his enemies that he would fast when he heard they were sick. Back to Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. This is one of those ESV bad renderings. Be of the same mind with one another is literally what it means. Be of the same mind. Again, there's a mindset here. This goes all the way back up to how Paul started this chapter. Renewed mind. We need to have the same mind. We all have to have the same kind of mind towards our enemies. And I'll tell you what, the mind that we need to have is a mind that doesn't exist where there's pride. And Paul begins to get into that right here. He says, do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. He deals with that. Pride's got a, huge, it's got a huge place in our ability to be able to be kind to our enemies. Proud people are not going to be kind. They're not going to love their enemies. They're not going to love those who seek to do them harm. Because in an over-exalted view of self cannot abide others seeking to harm them. Then Paul jumps right back into the same mindset again that he started in 14 with, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never revenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord." To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Brethren, as I contemplated Romans 12, and I was thinking about the flow here, I'll tell you, maybe this seems far out and far-fetched to you guys, I, I began to imagine us kind of in a spiritual submarine, if you'll allow that kind of... We are flowing along through Romans 12. Deep down. Brother, you can identify with the submarine. We're deep. We're in the deepness and the depths of Christian reality. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We're to use our spiritual gifts according to the grace given to us. We're to love genuinely. We're to love with brotherly affection. We're to outdo one another in showing honor. We're to be fervent as we serve the Lord. We're to rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Sharing in the needs of the saints. Showing hospitality to strangers. Brethren, these things are indeed the deep waters of the Christian life and experience. But in verse 14, something changes. And I imagine it like we're all in this spiritual submarine. We're going through all these deep, charted waters. Paul's taking us through and suddenly you get to verse 14 and Paul says, dive. Let's really deep. Go down deep and descend. Down, down, down. I was thinking about it in that song. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And I thought, there's that imagery again. Deep, deep, down. It's deep. He's taking us into a realm that is way down close to the very heart of Christ. Down into the deepest regions of grace. When we live our Christian lives, this is is down in the deepest waters. Brethren, think with me here. Loving this group here. One another within the church. Bunch of imperfect, problem-ridden folks that call themselves Grace Community Church. Loving one another here with a genuine love. With brotherly affection. That's deep. That is deep. When brothers and sisters are in need financially, and we have our own needs, and we have our own wants, But to take away from that and give. Brethren, that's deep. Showing hospitality to strangers. And you know when you pull somebody into your house, maybe a Christian comes to town you've never never met them before. Not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Brethren, that's hard. That's deep. That takes grace. That's the real thing. That's miraculous, supernatural life of Christianity. But brethren, It's one thing to be nice and kind and loving to those you like and to those you have camaraderie with and those that to some degree return your love. Brethren, to love your enemies and do good to those to harm you, bless rather than curse your attackers. Never avenge yourself, but rather weep with your enemies when they weep. Rejoice with them when they rejoice. Brethren, that's deeper still. That's divine. That's close, close to the heart of Christ. That's where the fragrance of Christ becomes thick. The deep, deep love of Christ begins to resonate out of His people in a way that, folks, it's just it's, it's miraculous. It takes, it takes something of, of God at work that the world and nature just simply cannot produce. Folks, I'll tell you what. You look at these these lines. You realize here, this is not simply a call to not retaliate. I had one missionary brother who was telling me the other day, certain people in certain churches were really provoking Him. They were coming against Him. They They were applying this. Pressure to him. They were putting him under this scrutiny. And he said, he said, I wanted to come out swinging. But I'll tell you what, folks, what Paul's talking about here is not just not punching somebody in the face. I mean, you can do that in the flesh, right? I was going through Alamo Heights the other day. And my inspection sticker expired and I got pulled over. I meant to take care of it that day. I really did. And it wasn't that far overdue, but it was still overdue. But I hear here in Texas, I thought you had 30 days. But anyway, in Alamo Heights, you don't. So, so I went all the way to the south side, a cousin of Papa's, to get it inspected. I came all the way back to Alamo Heights. And the woman in there said we need proof. I said I have my car out in the parking lot with stickers on it. Isn't that proof enough? The judge is not going to go outside. I had to drive all the way back south. I was angry. I I was telling Joshua, I was so mad in there that I could have been thrown in jail. I was that mad. But see, in the flesh, we can we can just flesh it out to not punch, to not scream. But folks, to respond, and not that the woman there at the window was my enemy. But but like with this missionary, I mean we can we can will not punching somebody. But folks, to bless, and I mean from the heart to desire the good of our attackers. When someone wrongs you, when someone falsely accuses you, have you been falsely accused? Brethren, it's hard. It's hard. Somebody maligns you. Somebody hurts somebody you love. When somebody really makes life hard for you, to not just not retaliate, but to actually love your enemies. To long in your heart for their good. To be earnest for their good. To pray for their good. To seek their greatest welfare and bless them. Brethren, that takes a miracle. And I'll tell you what, if you forget the very layout of Romans 12, what is it? I appeal to you by the mercies of God. And I'll tell you what this is. Romans 1 through 11. That's the miracle, folks. That's where the miracle is. That's the miracle of the Gospel. That's the miracle of the transformed life. That's the miracle of what God does in the life of a sinner. And if we forget that, if we forget that connection, we'll never live this kind of life. Brethren, I can tell you, I couldn't find this. And so I I want to tell you that because um, I'm, I'm remembering from maybe something I heard 15 years ago. but. I used to listen to a whole lot of John MacArthur tapes. And on one of them, or several of them, he told the story about his brother-in-law. And I want you to hear this. MacArthur's brother-in-law, I think it is his sister's husband. His brother-in-law had a son. This son, one day, happened to go into a convenience store. He happened to enter the convenience store right as the store was being robbed. The robber was armed. I think the son may have come through the door, interrupted the robbery in progress. The man pulled the gun up and shot and killed MacArthur's nephew in cold blood. Killed him on the spot. Can you imagine when you're in the midst... Can you imagine if you're that young man's dad? I have a son. A brutal, senseless murder. Family lost their son. Can you imagine the grief? Can you imagine the feelings? He's gone. My son is gone. In this life... I'm not going to see him again. Can you imagine what happens in your mind? The hopes and the dreams that you had, they're gone. I'm not going to see my son married. I'm not going to have grandchildren from him. You remember the things that you did, the way you laughed together, the way you played together, the way you lived together, the things you did, and he's gone. The father has lost his son. No future together. His son's taken away. At a moment like that, how do you cope with the impulse to retaliate? How do you do that? I remember in the story, the man who killed his son was apprehended. He was sentenced. He was sent to prison. MacArthur's brother-in-law, the father of the boy who was killed, you know what he did? He went to that prison. He looked in the eyes of his son's killer. And he said, I want you to know, I don't hate you. And I don't hold any resentment against you. You know what he did? He preached the gospel to him. He pleaded with him to come to Christ. He loved Him. Brethren, do you see why I started by saying these are the deepest depths in the ocean of Christian life and experience and obedience? This is indeed near to the heart of Christ. Brethren, the truth is, all too many of us are far too easily offended over little things. We've had people here in the church leave because they said I didn't talk to them enough we've had people leave because they said people talk to them too much brethren God help us if we can't love our way through the little offenses and hurts caused by Christians who are closest to us how are we going to love those who really malign us and hurt us and oppose us. Many of you no doubt have heard at least part of this story. January 23rd of 1999. Graham Staines, his two sons, 11-year-old Philip, 6-year-old Timothy. They were murdered by a large mob of militant Hindus in Manaharpur, Orissa, India. That night they had done evangelism. They'd gone to a Christian camp in the jungle where Graham was ministering the Gospel at midnight while he and his sons slept in their old kind of Volkswagen, or a, not a Volkswagen, but a, a Jeep. That mob attacked them, set fire to the Jeep in which Graham and his sons were sleeping. The three of them were burned alive when that fire finally cooled down, they found the three charred bodies there, arms wrapped around each other. Many of you no doubt have heard that part of the story. What would they kill him for? Graham Staines had worked 34 years in the jungles among lepers. He'd poured his life out For the needy, caring for patients of leprosy, instead of being thanked and appreciated, he and his sons were burned alive. Let me tell you something. When those Hindus burned those three men, two little boys, they didn't burn up the whole Graham family, the whole Graham Staines family. You know what? There was also a mother, there was also a sister. Gladys and Esther. Can you imagine the tears that they shed? Can you imagine the wounds? Can you imagine when you lose somebody that close to you, the number of deaths that you die? I mean, you have to deal with every hope you had with them, every plan you had, all that. You had run through your mind the expectations. You have to die over and over to those. Die over and over to ever hearing their voice again. Ever seeing their smile again. Ever knowing their touch again. Can you imagine it? The, the separation. The having to say goodbye. The waking up in the morning and they're not there. The little girl having to think, when I walk that aisle, my dad is not going to give me away a wife, to say, I'm never going to feel the touch of my husband again. I'm never going to hear his voice. I'm never going to have his protection. I'm never going to have that earthly security of that man there again. Folks, do you know how they responded? Have you heard? Brethren, how do you respond to such a thing? Maybe fear? I can remember, we've talked about this when when that friend of John Wheeler's was killed over in Turkey. Some responded with fear. It was time it was time to go into hiding. It was time to escape. Oh no, they killed them. They may kill us too. That's one way to respond. What's another way to respond? Be there in the courtroom when they come for trial. Those are my husband killers. I want justice. People immediately assumed that Esther and Gladys would move back to Australia. That's where they're from. Gladys shocked nearly everyone. You know what she said? God called us to India and she would not leave. She said, my husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. Gladys said, I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter. Neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave His life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Brethren, there's more. Graham Staines had a daughter. When she was at, she's 13 years old. Now listen, listen, how many 13-year-old young ladies, 14-year-old young ladies, 15-year-old young ladies, you're bent out of shape if you hear through the grapevine somebody spoke something about you that made you upset. Or somebody did this, or somebody did that. Listen, they killed her father. As a 13-year-old, Esther said this, I praise the Lord that He found my father Worthy to die for him. Brethren, how do you handle being a father? Having to look in a casket at your son's body with a hole in the head. And then go to the prison and bless your son's killer. How do you deal with the charred remains of your husband and your little children, and say to an entire country, I want to spread the flame of Christ's love. How does a little girl 13 years old praise the Lord when her daddy isn't coming home anymore? Brethren, I'll tell you this. If you don't catch the connection with Romans 12.1 and the mercies of God, you'll not get it! We've got to have roots that go down deep. Down, down, down into the very depths and ocean of mercy. Deep down into the love. Deep down into Christ. Brethren, there's there's a connection. When things happen to us, people strike out against us, there is an impulse to retaliate. And instead of being like James and John, what did they do? And this is our Lord. They insulted Him. Lord, what do You want us to do? You want us to call down fire from heaven? Rather than being bow and urges, how do we, how do we... You know what Christ said to them, right? He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Brethren, that's the heart of Christ. It is only when you see the connection with Romans 12.1. The appeal to the mercies of God. You see what Paul's doing? He says, I've got to take you close to Christ. I've got to constantly bring you back to the cross. I've got to constantly show you the deep, deep love of Jesus. You need to come here if you're going to live this life. Folks, why? Because something's happening in your mind. And this is why He says you need to have renewed minds. And your mind needs to be renewed with the thoughts of the mercy of God. The Gospel needs to permeate your mind. It needs to permeate your thinking. I'll tell you this, when they find your husband's body in the back of a car charred with your son's charred beyond description. Ten million thoughts go through your mind. Folks, our mind is at work When when people come along and they curse us, they mock us, they persecute us, they hate us. You know what it does? It provokes thoughts. Thinking. Your mind is hard at work. You'll never pray for. You'll never show love to your enemies unless you think right. Unless your thoughts and your heart have roots that go deep, deep, deep. Not not just is the Christian life deep. It's very deep. We've got to sink down into depths, folks, that we haven't imagined. Can you imagine, beloved, what this church would be like? How we would respond to one another if we have the ability to respond this way to our enemies. Oh, how much more, how much easier it is to respond to one another who we're so close with. And like I say, to some degree, reflect the love that we get. And I have camaraderie in the cross and in the Gospel. Brethren, let me tell you this. Paul starts the book of Romans. Romans 1.5 We've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You hear those three words? Obedience of faith. He ends the book the same way. Romans 16.26, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. How do I get to the place where I can obey a command to bless those who curse me? How can I come to the place where I love my enemies? Listen, this is an obedience that flows forth from faith. You see what I'm saying? When Paul appeals to the mercies of Christ, when he appeals to the mercies of God, you know what he's doing? He's appealing to our faith. He wants our faith to come in and grab hold. He wants us to be connected to what it is that God has done for us. He wants us to come back again and again and again and get our mind where it is just saturated with the mercies of God. He wants them there. Folks, If there is no faith, there is no persuasion. If you are not confident that Christ has done these things for you, you will not have a confidence. You will not have a faith. You will not be able to live this way. It is only when I have a certainty that I have these things in Christ that I can turn around to my enemies and treat them the way that He says to treat them. Listen, things are going on in the mind. What needs to be happening here? How are we going to be persuaded? How are we going to be motivated? Can you imagine if you knew nothing at all about Christianity? You knew there was such a thing, but you didn't know anything about it. You would come to me and say, show me what your religion is all about. I might say to you, and there may be a lot of things I'd say to you, but because we're we're dealing with this, It certainly comes to my mind that this might be a good place to go. I might say to you, come with me. I want to take you to the foot of a Roman cross. I want to show you the leader and head and Lord of Christianity up on that cross. There He is. He's hanging on the wood. But you know what? It's not just that I want you to see what He's doing. Come with me and listen. What would the head of our religion, the only true religion. What in the world is the God-man going to say when you put him up there? The first thing that comes from his lips. Father, I forgive them for they know not what they do. Now you think with me here. He's not speaking about his mother. He's not speaking about a friend who's insulted him. He's praying for those who are calling for His blood and those who are actually now in the process of spilling His blood. There's an unequal tenderness here. Now, if this is all you knew about Christianity, all, here's Christ. They put Him up there. He's not arguing. He's not saying, what did I do to you to deserve this? He's not railing on them. He's not ridiculing them. He's not praying to His Father, Father. See what they do to your son. Remember this and hold it against them. Make certain they pay every ounce of this. They do me such injustice. Look at me hanging here. Naked. Despised. They have have shamed me with all the venom they can possibly shame me with. That's not what he does. He doesn't call upon his Father to destroy them at once. Brethren, have you ever thought about it? They called him a friend of sinners. Have you ever thought about what that means? Have you ever thought about what it is to be a sinner? To be a sinner means you hate God. To be a sinner means that you have chosen to despise God, to throw off His rule, to not be obedient to Him, to turn and not seek His glory, but to despise it, turn your back on it, and walk away. To be a sinner is to be one who throws insult. You know what they're showing by putting Christ on the cross? They're showing that they would kill God if it was in their power to do it. Friend of sinners. This is the leader, the head, the Lord of our religion. Man comes to the very pinnacle of wickedness. Christ, we know, could call in a legion of angels His only request, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'll tell you what, if you knew nothing else about Christianity then that right there, that would be sufficient to call us to adore Christ. Let me tell you something. Any of you ever heard the name Alexander Duff? Banner of Truth has a book out that any of you can get and read. It's it's not very long. It's called St. Andrew's 7. Alexander Duff is one of the seven. As I recall it. Duff went to India. I dug this up in one of my books. In India, he once read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 to a number of Hindu youths. When he came to this passage, very reflective of what we're talking about, Matthew 5.44, he says, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is what it says. So deep and intense was the impression produced on one of them that he exclaimed in ecstasy, Oh, how beautiful! How divine! This is the truth! This is the truth! For days and weeks, he could not help repeating, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you constantly exclaiming how beautiful, surely this is the truth. Nor could He rest until He had renounced His false gods and their senseless worship and accepted the truth as it is in Jesus. Brethren, we can't escape this reality. I'll tell you this. What are you going to do? When somebody rises up against you, Jesus Christ has called us to follow Him. What are you going to do? We want to think hard thoughts. We want to say things. We can't speak kindly. Right? Who is that said in the Scriptures of? They couldn't speak kindly of them. Joseph's brothers? I mean, Joseph didn't even provoke them. They couldn't speak kindly of them. How much less when somebody actually reaches out and strikes out against us. They mean to do us harm. Our general response is... At most, we hold back from punching. But they really in the heart desire their good and desire their welfare. Brethren, I'll tell you this. You and I cannot get away from this reality. The Christ that we behold in faith. He lived this way. He taught us to love our enemies. And then I'll tell you what, in the face of the most appalling abuse and derision, He lived out what He taught. He blessed those who despised Him. He prayed for those who hated Him. You know, you know where we're at? We're in this place. When Paul's appealing to the mercies of God, let me just mention a few of those mercies. They come out of Romans chapter 5. You know what he said? He said, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Guess what that tells us? When Christ died for us, we were weak and we were ungodly. He goes a little further. Five eight. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, we were weak, we were ungodly, we were sinners. You know what needs to happen? We need to have renewed minds. He appeals to the mercies of God. We need to have minds that work right. How do you produce the kind of Christians who weep when their enemies weep? Who don't seek revenge? Who don't strike back? Rather return good? We've got to have our roots sunk down into these kind of truths. What were we? Brethren, you you need to think about this. What in the world were we? Were you born a Christian? Did you come into the world loving God? Did you come into the world adoring and worshiping Christ? What were we? You go a little further in Romans 5, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. We were enemies. We were weak. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies. Why is He hitting those things? These, brethren, I'll tell you this. When He gets to Romans 12, these are exactly the mercies He's drawn us back to. And exactly where He wants us to go. Exa- you know what? This overwhelmed Paul. I mean, just to the Galatians. You know, He said that Right there at the end of Galatians chapter 2, the Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, it's like Paul, he attacked the church. He struck out to have Christ come to him and save him. It overwhelmed him. Brethren, you were something before the Lord God saved you. You were something. Scripture says, You were children of wrath. You were sons of disobedience. You were hostile to God. Alienated from the life of God. Not submitting to God's law. Taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Hating His person. Disdaining His glory. Neglecting His word. Wanting to go your own way. Not wanting anyone, especially Him, telling you what to do. You tell me. What was there in you to recommend you to God? Brethren, I know my past. You know what? When God came for me, I couldn't get away from reading His Word, but I had a 40-ouncer in my hand for a reason. Because I wanted Him to leave me alone, and I wanted Him to allow me to run back to my sin. And I can tell you what, you know what I found? When I was trying to run from God, He was running after me with open arms of love. And I'll tell you this, if you're going to love mercy for yourself, you can't then turn around and hate it for other people. You can't say, well, yes, I love it that He had mercy on me. I love it that when I was trying to run away with open arms of love, He came. When I had a fist, you think about it. This, this is such an adequate picture. I'm not stretching this. When you had your fist back, leave me alone. I want to live my life. It says, oh God, grabs hold of that hand and drops it down and he leans forward and he kisses us. And then we're going to turn to our enemy saying, I love that for me, but I don't want it for you. then we have to remember where we come from the mercies of god take us back what were we what is it like about romans 3:12 the esv says unworthy the kjv says unprofitable what was there in us to recommend us to god nothing nothing useless unprofitable Do you see it? God so loved the world. Can I tell you this? Retaliation is an act of unbelief. That's what it is. Because what Paul wants is obedience that comes forth from faith. I'll tell you, when you've got somebody attacking you and your faith, you've got a confidence. (sighs) I was bad me. I was bad. And He washed them all away. I was bad. He made me His Son. He's promised me an inheritance. Unspeakably weighty in glory. Through the coming ages, He's promised to bestow such ravishing joy and expressions of love I know what I was. I have a confidence that now I'm in Christ and there's no condemnation. I deserved hell. I deserved His vengeance. And now somebody comes to me and wrongs me. Brethren, when your faith is rooted and it goes down deep, I mean down in those depths where the fragrance, the deep, deep love What was that deep, deep love? I'll tell you this. Christ prayed for the forgiveness of His enemies. While we were yet sinners, He died. He endured such things that even the thought of it The expectation of it wrung blood from His pores. You see, when somebody strikes out against me, against you, and you're able with a mind just set, I did such wicked things. I was so unprofitable. I was the last person. I mean, some of you know my testimony you know that that guy that gave me the book that led to my salvation told me you are the last person that I gave the Gospel to because you are the last person here that I thought God would ever save. When I'm the last person that anybody would think would be saved in an entire workplace and God saves me. And I know that. And I have a mind being renewed by thoughts about that mercy that was shown to me. It makes it very difficult when somebody wrongs me to say, well, I want this, but I don't want you to have it. Because you can't even... You know what happens when people strike out against us? You know what we start thinking? We start thinking about what's fair. That's not fair. That's not right that they did that. And I'm not saying it is right. And look, we're going to get to it. God says, vengeance is mine. And it's not that they're wronging you isn't wrong. And that there won't be vengeance. But I tell you what, there was a day when God's vengeance was against you and against me. And somebody paid. Somebody had that vengeance inflicted upon them. When somebody wrongs me, to want the vengeance due them to be diverted off them to Christ just as it was with me. And I'll tell you what, you may be wrong, but you think about how many others you've wronged. Let alone what you've done to God. Let alone how you've despised His glory. That word sinner, oh, why were we yet sinners? so easy to say. But all have sinned. The very heart of sinning is coming short of the glory of God. It's to despise what's beautiful. It's to despise what is rightfully God's. It is to despise that which is most precious, that which is most beautiful, that which is, which is unspeakably glorious. We didn't have eyes to see. We counted it as dung. What is the furthest thing from it? We insulted God and rather than Him coming back and striking us the way that we deserved. And the Son of God knew what that was going to cost Him. He pleaded with His Father, let that cup be taken away! But He was smitten of God and He was afflicted. That was my vengeance. Now when somebody wrongs me, brethren, There was a man who took the throne in France by the name of Louis XII. He had many enemies before he succeeded to the throne. When he became king, he caused a list to be made of his persecutors. He marked against each of their names a large black cross. When this became known, the enemies of the king fled. They thought it was a sign that he intended to punish them. But the king, hearing of their fears, had all these enemies recalled with an assurance of pardon. And the king said that he had put a cross beside each name to remind him of the cross of Christ. That he might endeavor to follow the example of him who prayed for his murderers Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Brethren, let us do the same. You have an enemy? Put a cross there by their name. This is what Paul called for. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. That's what that cross is all about put a cross by the name of any that you would lash out against? That you would have anything in you rise up? Brethren, how do we get to the place where we have a church full of 13 year olds that can have their father murdered and say, I praise God? May We need the grace of God. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you people that responded like MacArthur's brother-in-law, people that responded like this Esther and Gladys, it takes lives that are sunk into the deep, deep, deep realities of the cross. Appealing to the mercies of God. Brethren, if you don't have faith, if you don't have that confidence, you can't live this life. You can't. It's an obedience that comes forth from faith. It's a faith that lays hold in the deep, deep, deep places with assurance of what Christ has done for us. God, help us to be such a church. God help us. We need to have a sense. A reality. A fixed reality. When somebody appeals to the mercies of God, it means we needed mercy. We were so, so, so unworthy. We were unlovable. We were so ripe. For hell. And God came to us and spread His cloak. Took us naked, dirty. Put us under His wing. Clothed us in righteousness. Nurtured us. Cleansed us. Loved us. I appeal to you, brethren, by those mercies of God. Bless those who curse you. Return good for evil. Pray for them who persecute you love your enemy.